Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. I've interviewed many successful people over the years, and one thing I find fascinating is that many of them don't consider themselves business savvy. Take the owners of Tightknit Brewing. They turn to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards and do all of it in one place with the Chase mobile app. And that's helped these brew-loving friends turn a passion into a business. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member FDIC. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Last year, the Army missed its recruitment goal. It had 65,000 spots to fill and came up 10,000 short of that target. Why is it so hard to recruit? How's the Pentagon responding? And how are the voices of service members on social media shifting the balance? Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish wherever you get your podcasts. This is Talk Easy. I'm Sam Fragoso. Welcome to the show. Hey, everyone. Thanks for being here. Today, I am joined by actor Amanda Seyfried. Throughout the 2000s, you have undoubtedly enjoyed Amanda's work. Whether it's in big pictures like Mean Girls, Mamma Mia, or Dear John, TV shows like Big Love or Veronica Mars, or even smaller independent projects like Chloe and First Reformed. By the way, let me throw in a recommendation. If you haven't seen First Reformed, that's a great movie, and Amanda is great in it. And so for 15 years now, I think Amanda has demonstrated this kind of impressive range. And her latest performance is just further proof of that, which comes in David Fincher's Mank. Set in 1930s Hollywood, it tells the story of drunken screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz, played by Gary Oldman, as he races to finish what would become Citizen Kane. Through Herman's hazy memory, we meet Marion Davies, played by Seyfried, the 1920s and 30s screen star, better known today as the mistress of newspaper magnate William Randolph Hearst. Here's a clip from the trailer. Mank, it's Orson Welles. Of course it is. I think it's time we talk. What is it the writer says? Tell the story you know. 
Make yourself to home, Mr. Mankowitz, or shall I call you Herman? Please, call me Mank. 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 This is Herman Mankowitz, but we're to call him Mank. Mankowitz. Herman Mankowitz, New York playwright and drama critic turned humble screenwriter, Mr. Hearst. This is a business where the buyer gets nothing for his money but a memory. What he bought still belongs to the man who sold it. That's the real magic of the movies. Thunder, blood, blood, fire, religion. Help! Someone save me! All in one film. That's director proof. That's why I always want Mank around. We talk about Mank a fair bit in this conversation. The film is a scathing evaluation of Hollywood. The vanity, the insecurities, the desperation, the nastiness. And although Mank is set in the 30s, the parallels to working in this industry in 2021, well, they're uncanny, sometimes even disturbing. Having started out performing as a teenager, Amanda has seen it all, and she brings all of those years into this performance as Marion Davies, which is probably why it's so compelling and full. She also brings herself fully to this conversation as we walk through her early years in the industry, the twists and turns, the wins and losses, as well as where she hopes to be as an actor and a mother in the years ahead. I hope you enjoy Amanda Seyfried, how are you doing? Thank you. I am doing okay. In the grand scheme of things, I feel lucky and positive, and I'm super excited about having two kids and being done with um, reproducing. Uh, I'm in a warm, I'm in a warm place right now, which makes me happy. And I'm also like getting to talk about an experience that I had that was special, and it's being treated like it's special. And the two things don't overlap, usually. I have a special time on every movie for different reasons. Mm-hmm. This is this is Fincher. Why is this so uncommon? It's, it's like lightning striking. I have been moseying on through my career, doing things that speak to me, working with new directors, old directors, inspired writers. I've been doing it a long time, and I'm always surprised and always looking for a new challenge. And expectations low. And I've worked with the greats. I've worked with great filmmakers. And I never expected to be able to work with David Fincher as well. And that's like lightning striking for me. I heard you say something that I, that I wanted to kind of go to, which is that you've always regarded yourself as someone who looks especially contemporary, yeah. which is why you were you were a little anxious about doing this role. How did you get over that hurdle for yourself? I had to trust that once I knew the words as well as I could possibly know the words, once I memorized fully, they were going to help me because I sound contemporary. I I watch interviews back. It's very difficult to listen to my voice when I'm speaking as Amanda because there are ums, you knows, likes, uhs, everywhere sprinkled throughout. That's a contemporary thing. Some might say lazy. I I wouldn't call it lazy. I did think that my voice and the way 
I spoke in the in the movie was going to be a challenge. And it turns out, no, I just had to trust the words, the dialogue. And then the accent helped. You know, everything builds on each other and this new thing is born. And you just have to trust that. I am an actor. I've been doing it. I only want to do it. Why am I so anxious? Well, to relieve some anxiety, I want to assure you that we have very diligent editors that will help you and I out with any goofs or gaffs or ums and ahs, any cursing, which uh, you're allowed to do on here, by the way. Yeah, you never know anymore. I'm, I mean, not that having kids has changed anything for me. Is that sarcasm? No, it like really hasn't. You would, you would think I would be better about my language around my daughter, who's almost four. By the way, I guess my husband and I, we were walking on the river yesterday during our break, and, she, and we were like, ah, shit happens. And we really wanted her to be able to say, shit happens. Because she's not going to say it. She's, she's very, made it very clear to us that she will not say bad words. Even if she doesn't know which words are bad, it's like she knows subconsciously. And I don't know where that comes from. She's like, no, I'm not going to say that. I used to take videos of her saying fox because she would say fuck. And, and I thought it was the funniest thing. And she won't say it anymore. <laughs> because she gets, I, I guess the reaction she gets isn't good enough. And she knows that it's a bad word. And she doesn't want to say bad words. <laughs> She's not my child. Anyway, I thought it was so weird. <laughs> that any, But the point is, I haven't, I haven't changed enough. You know, I, I, I haven't, I don't set a great example because I do, I do curse. You would think I wouldn't. This is not like the 1950s. I don't, I feel like it's okay to curse. Yeah. What is a bad word anyway? I don't know. I don't know. Am I going to get slapped on the hand from the principal at her school if she says it? You almost seem like melancholic that she won't say Fox anymore. Yeah. Cause you know, I do a lot to get a laugh. <laughs> I do a lot to laugh. No, I, not really. I really don't exploit her often. That will be the headline from this podcast. (laughs) The headline will be Amanda doesn't exploit daughter often. Just when it really counts. Just when she's having a really bad day. You said you became a parent. You have two kids now and it hasn't changed anything. And I think there is traditionally this expectation regardless of career, but especially in acting that someone has a kid and their life alters course. And Yet to you, you're saying the course is, you know, I haven't deviated. There are things that have changed that the the natural turn of events that happens when you become a parent, you are responsible for two small human, a small human, a dozen small humans, however many you choose to have. And a dozen seems like a lot. Not to some people. Always blows my mind. Always blows my mind. I mean, I can't, my body can't go through another, another. That thing that happens, that instinct takes over and, and you, the priority just shifts and hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, and my essence won't, doesn't change. The things, the way I speak doesn't change. Clearly the things that I'm passionate about don't change. I have less time to do them because I want to have less time to do them because I'd rather be with them, with my kids. Of course you make sacrifices and of course you make compromises, but you don't, you don't stop doing the thing that inspires you and moves you all together. You just, it changes a little bit. Mm. Like I'm not going to work. I'm not going to do three projects a year. Hopefully I'll do one or two and that's okay. That's really important for them to see us happy. Plus I have my mom who lives with us full time and is their nanny. So it's easy for me to say that. 
then again, my dad worked, my mom worked, and we went to daycare. And I turned out pretty sane and, and happy. You seem sane and you seem happy. All things considered. It. Thanks. So do you. Do I? Yeah, you seem level-headed and <laughs> you have a, a very healthy amount of humility, it seems, from the five minutes I've we've been speaking or ten. I'm wondering, because so much of this film is kind of interrogating Hollywood and, and the art of being an actor and, and what it means to be an actor and the industry as a whole. What did this part make you think about within your own career? I have been talking about this movie since October. We finished making it in February, just before lockdown, or just before we shut down kind of the whole world. And in talking about the movie, not as much portraying Marion on set, I have reflected back. I have taken a few trips down my past and I see some similarities between myself and Marion, of course. You 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 do that right away when you get a role like like this, when you're portraying someone real. You 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 try to find the similarities right away. You try to find the humanity, no matter who it is, because that's how you connect. That's how you're gonna play the person, right? That's step one for a lot of actors. And in terms of my like we the similarities are that we were both misunderstood a lot. I was misunderstood for a shorter amount of time because I played my first big role was Karen and Mean Girls. And as great a role that, as that was and as huge of a movie that was and what it did for my career, it also was the perfect vehicle to pigeonhole me. And so I really fought against that almost immediately. It's not like I had every opportunity falling at my feet or anything, but I, I worked really hard to fight against that. And for Marion, I don't think, I think she just wanted to work. And also she had Hearst trying to steer her in a direction that he thought she deserved when she actually really wanted to be a comedian, continued being a comedian because she was great at that. Was, that was her niche. Like that was where she belonged and that's where she was happiest. So there's some similarities there, but also in just generally being a woman in this industry, it doesn't look that much different in the 30s. I mean, we all know that. We all see that. It's, it's better. Hollywood wants to be better for sure. There's an aspiration. Yeah. It wasn't an aspiration back then. No. But it is now, so that's good. That's a major shift. Yeah, I was I was mistreated in many, many ways. I just wanted to work. I wanted to work, and I wasn't going to step on anybody's toes, and I wasn't going to say no when I was uncomfortable, and I was just going to keep my head down and, and work. There are some situations that I was in that, you know, nobody should be in when they're 17, 18, 19 years old, or 35. But that's the reality. Did you know you were being mistreated at that age, at 19? Yes, I knew. Consciously, I knew that it wasn't super kosher. And I had discussions with my inner circle about it. Not my business inner circle, my personal inner circle. And I didn't do anything about it. I didn't fight back. I, I just, I took what I could get, really. And I'm talking about being made to feel like I didn't really have a choice or I'd upset somebody. I wish more people had been looking out for me in these productions. And it's nothing major. I, I, came, I came out of all the power uh, struggle that, you know, I, I, didn't, I wasn't taken advantage of in, a, in any extreme way. I came out unscathed in that way, thank God, because I don't know how I would have been able to deal with that. But but I 
but you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't respected the way I should have been respected. And I let people disrespect me and I paid the consequences and I can talk about it because I think things are changing. I think having intimacy coaches, <laughs> where were they? Where, why was nobody like the costumers on set were super helpful, but it's not up to them. It's up to the people way further at the top to make sure that young women, young men weren't feeling like they were being objectified <laughs> and having to speak up when it was scary to. Shouldn't be scary. There should be an open dialogue. I think there is now. I really, I really do think so. And there are a lot of people that are comfortable doing anything. And there are a lot of people that aren't. And I think it's finally coming to a point where everybody's getting on the same page before this discomfort starts happening and you start feeling like you're taken advantage of. Well, I, I, um, I'm sorry. It's embarrassing how many of those bad decisions or bad decision-making came from men in positions of power. It's hard to reconcile also because I know many people listening are huge fans of your work and even thinking about Mean Girls where you're 19 years old in this movie. 17. So at 17, you're in this movie and and part of that movie is like the absolute comedic genius and joy that you bring to it. Thanks. And yet at the same time, there is this other reality happening where you are feeling discomfort. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't Mean Girls where I, I felt 100% free and it was just, I mean, Mean Girls was the perfect first movie. It was, it was soon after that, that I was just thrust into this world. And because before Mean Girls, I was on a soap opera and I just auditioned and I got it. Mm-hmm. And then I lived in LA and then I was up for all this stuff and I was getting all this stuff and it was great. But, but I, that, that, the memory of that movie is pure and my mom was around too. So you better believe I was safe. I felt really taken care of. And yeah. This may be a silly question, but do you remember that first day on set? Yeah. Very clearly the whole experience started with Lacey Chabert and her kindness. And she welcomed me in to her trailer and we would just listen to Dido and have that Bayes candle going. So anytime I hear it or smell it, it's Lacey. And I just remember Mark Waters just treating me like I'd been doing this forever in a nice way. And he knew I was anxious and um, I was doing the weather report with my, with the rain tower. And I'd never seen a, I'd never seen a movie camera, let alone a rain tower or a huge crew outside of this high school, people laughing at my performance, everything about Mark Waters had this giant bursting laugh. And I, I'll never forget that either. There's so many things that just cemented into my soul with that movie because it was such a positive experience and everybody was so wonderful. We all got along so well and we'd go, go out to dinner on the weekends. And I just, I just remember when, and there was food. I mean, that was, I just see so much food too. when I think about it, I was just eating so much food because it was free and I'd never even heard the term craft services. As nervous as I was, as curious as I was as to why I was there, I also felt like this was the beginning of something that I was going to want to do forever. It propelled the move to L.A., and it made me feel like I belonged there. I'm kind of psychic. I have a bit sense. It's like I have ESPN or something. 
My breasts can always tell when it's gonna rain. Hi, this is Karen Smith. It's 68 degrees and there's a 30% chance that it's already raining. It was such a good experience. Like, I can do this. This is where I belong. And I, and I did. Turns out I, I did. We, you know, I was, I was 18 when I moved there. I was working that whole year. I mean, I, I haven't stopped working. But not everybody is great, and that's okay. But people are trying to be better, you know? What are you thinking about? Oh, my God. It's, it's the general meetings with producers, it's, which is some of them are great. Some of them are like, okay, general meetings, being a young actress, trotting around in my, as an 18-year-old, going to general meetings and meeting vice presidents of studios and just constantly auditioning and seeing versions of yourself walking around and trying not to feel intimidated and then, and then trying to give some of the, someone access to you who you wouldn't give, otherwise give access to just because you think that that's what they want because you just want to be liked and hired. You give so much of yourself. You just vomit yourself everywhere just to be understood and liked and respected. And it's the wrong way to go about getting it, of course. But that's also how you learn. And I wouldn't give any of those years back. But Hollywood is a cesspool. And if you don't recognize that, you can get in the water and it it can be hard to like pull yourself out of. But then it's also, there's just, when you're on solid ground, it can be really good. But you have to learn. And, you know, power dynamics and people using their power and taking advantage of, especially women, it exists. You see it all the time. You're seeing it with Cuomo. What? <sighs> Don't do this, dude. We were counting on you to, like, get us through this. Don't be stupid. It, and it, every there's a spectrum. Of course there's a spectrum. It's not black and white. It never will be. But if you make someone uncomfortable, you got a problem. But as, as you were coming up in the early 2000s, that language around discomfort, I mean, it wasn't there. No, it wasn't there. It, there was no way to say, dude, you're making me uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, you want my number? Okay. Sure, yeah. You know, it's just, it's black and, it's not black and white. So I guess, I guess if anyone, if my daughter was asking me advice, no one's asking me advice right now, but if my daughter were, I'd say, know your boundaries. What are your boundaries? What makes you comfortable? What doesn't? And walk away if you're not comfortable because you're not going to lose your whole life. You might lose your job, but what is it worth to you if you don't feel safe? Um, we didn't have that language. You're right. You're totally right. I mean, it was, that was a long time ago. Let's say we're in 2021. I'm so grateful that my daughter is going to grow up in the next She'll be a teenager in the 2030s. You said something that really, it's such a vivid image that I, I don't want to lose, which is that you moved to L.A. at 18. 18, yeah. And you said as you were going from meeting to meeting, looking to find what the next steps were, there were different versions of yourself around town. And, and I, I guess I wanted to know, what, what does that mean? There was a template blonde bombshell or it was sexy or it was young and curious or whatever it was, whatever TV show needed the lead or the the second lead or the third lead. But it was usually blonde, big eyed, glamorous, sexy, like just, okay. They were templates. They weren't, they weren't real people, which is fine. You know, that's what, that's what, 
casting calls are like. You know, you you get your opportunity to show the human the humanity in each character, but the the descriptions on the page that you get, not even emailed to you, mailed to you, or you'd have to go and pick up the script from your agency. And mine was in Santa Monica, because you can just imagine how difficult that was. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 so I just yeah, it was intimidating to see blonde-haired girls who have way better bodies than I did. I have a very short torso, so it's hard to... And then my boobs were a little too big for my body, which I, I felt that's how I felt. That, it's not true. And I was awkward, and I had a problem with free food. I, would, I was a heavier back then. Not heavy in a bad way. Heavier in a healthy way. Although it was because of sugar, really, and donuts. But it was impossible for me not to... <laughs> Look at these women and think, I need to make money so I can get good shoes like them. I need to straighten my hair. I need to, I need to show up, you know, be- looking better. It turns out I didn't need all that. And because right away I, I got some, I got two jobs. I actually think what you're describing is a deeply human thing, which is that all of us, if we're lucky, turn 18, 19, you're leaving high school, you're a senior. Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. In my book, David and Goliath, I tried to figure out how some people find the strength to take on the established way of thinking and turn it upside down. What does it take to be a disruptor? And I concluded that a disruptor is someone with a rare combination of three traits. First, you have to be open. You have to be willing to see and do things in new ways. Secondly, you have to be conscientious to follow through and make things happen. Those two are obvious, but the third one is the crucial one. You have to be willing to do what you think is right, even when everyone around you thinks you're an idiot. There isn't a brilliant innovator in history who wasn't surrounded by naysayers. Most of us can't take that kind of criticism and we fold, but the disruptor doesn't. They soldier on. I've been looking at disruptors and their success stories a lot lately, partly because I'm working on a follow-up to the tipping point and market disruption plays a key role in how ideas take off, but also because I'm going to be the keynote speaker at this year's Unconventional Awards from T-Mobile for Business. It's an event where customers are recognized for kicking convention to the curb to elevate their company, while also doing meaningful things for their community and even the world. In fact, I'll be presenting the first ever Tipping Point designation, a new special distinction honoring one entrant that sparked transformative change for their organization. If this event sounds like your thing, I encourage you to find out more or even enter the unconventional awards to be recognized for your disruptive thinking. Win a donation to a charity of your choice and much more. You can enter before July 31st at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat. I've interviewed many successful people over the years, and one thing I find fascinating is that many of them don't consider themselves business savvy. Take the owners of Tightknit Brewing. They turn to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards and do all of it in one place with the Chase mobile app. And that's helped these brew-loving friends turn a passion into a business. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. JP Morgan Chase Bank, NA member FDIC.
smart journalism, fascinating topics, words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Last year, the Army missed its recruitment goal. It had 65,000 spots to fill and came up 10,000 short of that target. Why is it so hard to recruit? How's the Pentagon responding? And how are the voices of service members on social media shifting the balance? Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish wherever you get your podcasts. In high school, it's a deeply like traumatizing and, and scary time where you're comparing yourself to others and you don't really know who you are and maybe you're going to university and comparing yourself with your new dorm mates. You're just describing it within an industry. How do you negotiate who you are within an apparatus that's trying to tell you who you should be? Yeah, I mean, listen, there's a bajillion answers. And it's hard to because it is true that you, I mean, how could you possibly know who you are when you're that age? Whether you're in college, I mean, college, I can't even imagine. I was surrounded by all those people too, but in a, in a, in a position of, in a professional world, it was, it was a little bit more cutthroat. (laughs) There was a lot more rejection happening in my, in my university time. I, I was always surrounded. I have a good family. I have a really good sister. My parents love me. They always supported me. I think knowing that I, no matter what I did or what had, what happened, I was always going to be loved and supported no matter what. I think that helps. But also if you don't have that, Surrounding yourself with really good friends. I also am still with the agent I was with then. We're family. I don't know. You you have to kind of go through it in order to get to the other side. And I think it's always important to remember that it's just, it's everybody's issue with that they may have, but that may seem like they have with you is really about themselves. I mean, that's something I learned and way too late of an age. Someone's got an issue with me. It's unless I've done something that I know, you know, unless I've purposely offended somebody um that's a really tough and that's a tough thing to answer is is there a moment or a film in those early years after mean girls where you look back and think okay i really like that one well mean girls i mean i have more appreciation for it now than i did back then when i when i watched it for the first time but i i was still pretty pretty blown away with the fact that i came out in a way that worked for the for the movie and then i hated myself for a while, my acting, but I liked my acting in Dear John, and that was probably the first time in Mamma Mia. I, I, you know, when it's what did you not like? In the, uh, I didn't like. I thought it didn't feel realistic. Like in Big Love and Veronica Mars, I didn't think I was being very realistic. I, I didn't believe me when I watched it, and I that comes down to not being able to watch yourself and being way too judgmental, like complete not able to be objective about any of it knowing what I was going through while I was shooting it and not just not being able to be outside of it and also I was a little lazy I I tend to be a little lazy so there are always scenes in every movie that I see and I'm like ooh, you weren't tapped in there what does that laziness look like as an actor (laughs) it looks like not not memorizing your lines yeah I got in trouble on a movie once and I cried in front of the cast. Well, I tried to hold it in. And it was because I I didn't know the line well enough. It deserved to be known. And I didn't know it. 
Because a lot of the times I make it my own. People, some directors and writers are really okay with you ad-libbing and changing it a little bit to make it feel as natural as possible. This was not the movie to do it on. And that is absolutely fair. And I'm, I love, the lesson was really important and I'm so grateful for it. I was, I'm not able to be yelled at. You cannot yell at me. Do not yell at me. I will fall into pieces. I'm really bad with that, with authority. And yeah, I, it's because I should have known everything. I should have known everything. I should have known it. Was the lesson that you should be prepared? It went a little deeper. If, you're, if we're thinking in like psychological terms, it's, it's about me sabotaging myself a little bit. Because if I work too hard and I fail, then, then it, it, it feels worse, I guess. I, that's part of it. But it's also just knowing I'll be able to do it in some capacity and that's good enough. No, not really. I need to be looking at my lines the night before, at least, at the very least. Because I look at them, I read the script, I look at them a bunch, and then I let them go, and then we start production, and maybe we rehearse, maybe not. If we don't, then I'll learn it the day of, you know, when I'm in the hair and makeup chair, and it's not good enough. And I'm a professional in every other way. Why can't I just know everything that's written? And if if, if the director's cool with us changing some lines, we talk about it beforehand. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm too old to to feel like, to have these nightmares about not knowing the lines and being being on set, or, or even when we're rehearsing a scene on set before we shoot, before they set the lights up and get everything ready for us, I still have that thing where I pull the sides out and I'm pretending to know what the lines are, but I don't know them. And my butt is clenched and I know it's wrong. And why put myself through that? I feel ashamed. And why, if you can control moments of shame, you should. Because they build and they build and they build and all of a sudden you have like an issue with something and I can control that. I can learn my lines. You know, I've been looking down, looking at a a notebook that I have. Do you want to see what's on this notebook? Do I? Oh no. I'm doing the exact same thing. What you're saying about looking at the script, we all do these things to kind of, I don't know, get by. Yes. And that's okay. Yeah, it, 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 it is for sure. It does. It is okay. I really thought you were going to laugh at the empty notebook. I uh, I know I got worried. I was like, I felt like my first instinct was, did I do something wrong? <laughs> no, I also have eight pages of notes right here on the screen. Oh, no. no, you've done nothing wrong. Why is that your first instinct? Adult child of. <laughs> it's just uh, a friend of mine wrote a poem. It's called Adult Child of. And it was, I sent it to everybody I knew who has... In that program, um, Adult Child of Alcoholics or whatever, and and I think it's fascinating the, the, the traits that we all share. I mean, most people share these traits on a level, but for us, it's, I mean, collectively, it's, we don't want to be in the way. It's an amazing, I should send it to you. Do you have an Instagram? I'm sure. I do. I'm going to send it to you because it's so amazing. I, don't, I mean, I'm not going to ask you about your upbringing, but, and I'm not going to say much about mine because- my father is like the funniest, sweetest man on the planet. But I grew up and, you know, he, he struggled and, and he got better. And, and, and I, and I have a program and sometimes I dip in, sometimes I dip out and it's not perfect, but I, I, at least I know I can recognize it happening. Right. <laughs> the first step is admitting you're having that feeling or, um, anyway, I'm going to send it to you. Is that too much information? 
No, it's not. You can send it because I I'd like to read it. It's all it's also for everybody, but she's an amazing poet, and so I think I I think it should be seen. You know, maybe I should just repost it. How about that? If you have it in front of you, do you want me to read? Okay, I do. Uh, adult adult child of. Hey, can I ask you something? And it's no big deal, really. And if you don't have the space or room to answer, I can totally wait until you do. I can wait out here on the couch, no problem. This couch is actually really comfortable, and and you can leave the window open. I'm not cold at all, and honestly. To be honest, I actually feel better when I'm a little on the chilly side. It keeps me awake and fresh-faced. Oh, and thank you for the water bottle. Should I Venmo you? Oh, fuck, I forgot to take my shoes off when I came in. I can totally, no problem. Just I just mop up my trail from the front door. Is this where you keep the stuff for that? Oh, wow, look at this picture of your mother. She's so beautiful. Tell me about her. Oh, and also, P.S., not to be weird or anything, but that question, well, I just I just wanted to know, and so you can be honest with me. You can just you can just go ahead and just, I can take it, but just, just throw it at me, but are you mad at me? Only because the first few times you texted me to head on over, you you used an exclamation point, and well, it's just that tonight you didn't, and then when I got here, you asked me first where I parked instead of saying hi, which is totally cool, actually, and real real quick, thank you. I'm sorry. Are you okay? You're doing great. I I love you. Here are my hands. You can use them however however you need. I'm not actually crying. My face just looks does this fumble thing when I'm tired. Everyone good? Everyone great? Everyone feeling super-duper good about themselves? Great. Then me too. I said it too fast, but it's just perfect to represent. <laughs> By the way, Amanda, yeah, the fact that you get at the end of that performance and the first thing you say is, I said it too fast. I did. The whole time I'm sitting here thinking, well, this is fantastic. I was hating on myself the whole time. Adult child of. Why is that the first instinct? The first instinct comes from the first way, the way I did it was to do it too fast, do it too fast to get it out of the way in case I was in the way, in case it was something that you didn't want to hear, in case I made you uncomfortable. But I said I wanted to hear it. Exactly. And I didn't listen to that. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I mean, I am listening to it. I'm not always naysaying everything. I do trust people at their word. And I, for the most part, it's, it's just so interesting to get into it into that and the nitty gritty of, of how people operate because a lot of it comes from the same place of not wanting to be in the way of not wanting to be a burden of over apologizing. It's an, it's, it's a pandemic. <laughs> and, and I, th- I think I'm better than I was for sure. Oh my God. Could you imagine me when I was 20? <laughs> I can imagine. And you're how old? 26. You said mm-hmm. you're pretty good though. You're pretty uh, self-aware already. At the at this bright age of twenty six, which is great, and I think that's probably why you have this show. Well, thank you. I I wish I can convince you that you're not in the way, and and I think I sh- I think I should add <laughs> for the context of of people listening, I have sent Amanda a very taxing microphone. I. I'm in the way, if anything. I am the inconvenient one. I have forced her to, to download Audacity to do this podcast. She sent two audio tests on two different days. This is, this is telling the story of you. It's true. I did. And you didn't complain to me. Oh, I was complaining. I was complaining. I was complaining to Rose, who works, who's at the at Relevant, who uh, represent me, my, my PR people, and I was complaining to her. I wasn't complaining like, this dickhead, why does he expect me to do this? I wasn't saying that. I was saying, why can't I figure this out? I don't understand why this isn't working the way it should be working. Mm-hmm. I hate technology. I'm not right for this. I wrote very, like, sort of, 
I hope like human guides to setting it up. Yeah, it was great. But I, I always fear with, with people and they're going to have that response. Of course. I, I, I have a very hard time asking people to do anything. I don't want anyone to ever think I'm taking them advantage of them. Genevieve, my amazing makeup artist, and I wanted Renato, who does my hair, to take a picture of my lips because it's a really good color. And I was outside and I was like, get my lips. And I felt so bad. And he was happy to do it. And I noticed that it was difficult for me, but I did it anyway. And it was, nothing happened. Did you feel better after you asked? Yes, I did. I did. I felt a lot better. The silly things we do, our human brains, this is why animals have such an easier time. I mean, they don't get this level of consciousness, but it's fun to talk about this, this stuff. Silly, it can be really silly, but it's always, it's rooted in something real and hopefully generations to come will explore that. I think it's rooted in something real because this morning I rewatched your scenes in Mank and there's a scene in this movie. I actually think this scene tells the whole story of the movie. Do you want to set it up before we play the clip? I haven't seen the movie yet, but I'm pretty sure you're talking. No, I'm kidding. Um, the <laughs> he's he's asking Marion. Mank is asking Marion if if she can call, get in touch with Hearst to try to stop the films from being distributed, and she's basically saying I can't get in touch with him, so he's not going to be of any help. And he's like, Can you go back to the studio? She's in the car leaving, and ask Mayor to pull the phony Sinclair films. Marion, I need a favor. It's just a little joke, Uncle Sure, Mank, anything. I want you to go back and tell Mayor Willie wants the phony Sinclair films pulled. Which phony Sinclair films? There isn't time to explain. I just need you to tell him that. Oh, I couldn't, not even as a joke. Why not? You know I don't lie. And that's why he'd believe you. Marion, please, you're not in convent school anymore. I'm sorry. I, I know it's silly, but... But what? Why not? Promise you won't laugh. I promise I won't laugh. My exit. What? I already made my exit. She had made her exit. And that means everything. There are like bookmarks. You can't, she's a movie star. She has left the building. She hasn't even left the building. She's got her trailer on six different carts. And she's, she cannot go back. It'd be so embarrassing. You just don't do that, no, no matter what. And I think that's funny. It's just matter of fact. No, that's a fact. No, I can't. I just made my exit. Which is the funniest line. She's, it's the funniest line. If you had only seen that scene, you would think that she was a ditz. It is so matter of fact. But the stakes on the other side about this kind of like insurgent yes. political campaign that is going to be derailed by a propaganda film, a campaign that is probably in the best interest of like the working people, that it could be helped by a call or a gesture or a car turning around. To me, that one scene represented how 
fickle everything is in Hollywood. It's terrifying. And and I think she it's not like she Marion had was even in the ballpark of thinking about the repercussions of of her not assisting. This just doesn't even come to mind. There's no why. It's like, oh, all right. My hands are tied. <laughs> It's just like a rule. There are rules that were just not, like, unwritten rules everywhere. It was a terrifying minefield to be walking in, especially as a woman. When you read that passage in Mank, given your 14, 15 years in this field, do you read that and think, wow, that is profoundly true? That is an accurate sort of snapshot of what it is to be in this strange peculiar industry. Everything I read in that script made me shake my head. Every similarity between now and then, I mean, the political cycle that happens to to prove that humans do not change. (laughs) They do not change. They do not evolve fast enough. The fact that we were in the position that we were in economically, everything, socially, when I read the script, just blew my mind. And the way Marion spoke, yes, it's, it's like, Oh my God, what are we doing? Because it's so true. And the way Mank expresses it, the puns, the way it, the dialogue just moves so quickly and tell, and, and ex- explains things so quickly. And it's heartbreaking. Not a great story for Marion, at least. Or for any of them. Except maybe Mayor. Definitely not for Hearst. Did you kind of experience a similar heartbreak upon realizing the nature of this industry? In some ways, it doesn't feel like a safe place for people that uh, aren't sure who they are. It doesn't support people. It is cutthroat, will always be cutthroat. People want to make money. You have to be in charge of your own best interest. And if you're not, you're fucked. And that's every industry. Everything comes down to money at the end of the day. But there are always clusters of people, giant clusters of people that are doing it because they love it. And as when you when you swim with those people, then it makes it all worthwhile. And in every industry, the people in charge who are in charge because they, they want to buy another house in St. Bart's or refurbish their jet. And then there are so many people that want to make good content. They want to have good experiences, and they're present in what they do. And they treat people nicely. You'll find them. They're there. That makes me feel sane. That, that helps. You know, we, you can offset the things that break your heart a little bit. It seems like now you're in charge of where you want to go. Yes, I am. I'm 35 years old. I, I have to be. You're making it sound like you're 55. This is, what, uh, this is what Hollywood does to you. No, this is what I'm choosing to say. The truth is... It's nice to be out of the ingenue zone and it's nice to be taken seriously. And it's nice to have this so many opportunity, like so many interesting characters to play. Marion's the first character I played after having kids who didn't have kids. I'm a mom now, but I'm not just a mom. I mean, in, in, as an artist in the industry, I play a mom, but I'm not just playing a mom. It's not one dimensional like that, luckily. And, and I feel like, the characters are only getting more complex, which is the way it should be. <laughs> I like to think of this show as um, a kind of time capsule of who 
you are in this moment, who I am in this moment. But I want to know because you, you, you just had your second child, right? Yep. If they are to sort of listen to this one day, and I'm not saying, and I'm not so arrogant to think they will, but let's say they do. Yeah, I'll hope they do. What do you want them to know about who you are at 35 and where you want to go from here? Children. I'm 35 and I think it's important to appreciate where where I am and that's that's a good step. That's a step ahead. I do not have any regrets. I'm worth a lot to myself. Life is long but really fast and my priority is to be present in everything that I do and to be deliberate in the choices I make and to make sure that I don't hurt anybody and to find the fun wherever possible. And I hope that I have given you space to be who you are, feel the things you feel, all the while feeling supported and safe no matter what happens. Is that that what you meant? I thought it was great. I should write that down. It's her birthday soon. She's going to be four in a couple of weeks. And I was thinking, I made her a card when she turned one and I found it the other day. And it was beautiful. And it's still how I feel. What did it say? That, basically that, but like in a lot of words. I can, I wish I had a photographic memory, but it was beautiful. And it made me like really proud of where I was, where I was even then, you know, it feels like forever ago, four years feels forever ago, three years when I wrote that, but. But I was the same. I'm not, in looking back, like you weren't that different when you were 21, when you moved here, but you have changed and evolved in giant ways, but your essence is the same. You're still, the generosity and the compassion, that's all this, that's all the same, or maybe more so, but it's not like you were born without it and you, you know, you're, you're born with something, right? And that's special. And you kind of know at, at early, early on whether or not you want to hurt people or make them feel good. Hmm. So even if you make mistakes and you have shame and all that, it's like experiences of life just pull you down and you do sh- stupid shit, that doesn't take away from the fact that you're a good person. I heard you say that you want to keep acting until you die. Yeah. What does that work look like? Okay, can I just tell you someone else's career who, who I've loved? Yes. Jane Fonda. She's still, I mean, she's she gets better and better, right? I want to get better and better. I want to continue making an impact. Her career has been, she seems to love it. I just want to work. I want my kids to be happy and healthy and be proud of their mother working. Not working too much, but working. You know, I want to make it work for me. I People who still show up to work and just, like Judy Den, she still shows up to work, knows their lines and kills it. Someone who's, you know, seems not very precious, you know, seems like they can take the joke up until they're dead, you know. It's, it's not easy to age and to be a woman, an aging woman in Hollywood. Um, as I've been told, I'm not old, but I've been told it's not easy to be under a microscope and aging. And, and um, I hope, you know, that doesn't affect me. I have a feeling you're going to be just all right. Okay. I hope so. Thanks. That's my, that's my guess. What, what do I know? You know a lot for a 26-year-old, right? If you say so, I'll take the compliment. Amanda Seyfried, thank you very much for coming on. San Fergoso, it's been an absolute pleasure. So this microphone, you want it back, I guess. Yeah, I think we'll take it back, for sure. (laughs) 
And that's our show. Special thanks this week to Christy Scott, Nathan Marcy, Rose Poole, and Christine Martinez. I'd also like to thank Amanda Seifred. Her latest performance comes in David Fincher's Mank, which is now available to stream on Netflix. To learn more about Amanda and her work, visit our show notes at www.talkeasypod.com. If you'd like to hear other conversations with actors, I'd recommend our talks with Matthew McConaughey, Jenny Slate, Britt Marling, Allison Pill, Titus Burgess, and Janelle Monet. You can listen and subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you do your listening. If you'd like to join our mailing list, drop me a line at talkeasypod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at talkeasypod. And as always, our show is made possible each week by our incredible team. Our executive producer is Janixa Bravo, illustrations by Krisha Shenoy. Our associate producer is Nikki Spina. Our lead editor is Andre Lin. Our editor for today's show is Clarice Guevara. Our assistant editors are Joshua Siegel and Kevin Kaur. Music by Dylan Peck. Our interns are Caitlin Dryden, Claire Hardwick, Jilly Harold, Patrice Lee, and Grace Perkins. Video and graphics by Ian Chang, Derek Gabrzak, Orion Huang, Ian Jones, and Ethan Seneca. And of course... The show is produced by Caroline Reebok. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy. We'll be back next week with Jenna Wortham and Kimberly Drew. Until then, stay safe and so long. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Last year, the Army missed its recruitment goal. It had 65,000 spots to fill and came up 10,000 short of that target. Why is it so hard to recruit? How's the Pentagon responding? And how are the voices of service members on social media shifting the balance? Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish wherever you get your podcasts.